God's Word. That's what we're all here about, right? On a cold and snowy Sunday in February, the local pastor opened up the church. He began to prepare for worship. Sadly, to his dismay, only one person arrived at church that morning. A farmer from the village. So the pastor said, well, I guess we'll just have to cancel service today. But then the farmer replied, Pastor, I can't believe that you would cancel worship. After I came all this way in the cold and the snow, if only one cow shows up at the farm at feeding time, I still feed it. You're right, replied the pastor. We should proceed with service. So inspired by the, by the farmer's dedication, the preacher preached like he'd never preached before. He preached his entire manuscript and beyond, from Genesis all the way to, to Revelation. And after the service was, was over, he, he stood at, the, at the, the back door and shook the hand of the farmer and he said, well, thank you for coming to church today. What did you think of that sermon? Farmer thought for a minute, said, well, pastor, if, if I go out to feed the cows and only one shows up, I, f- I still feed it, but I don't give it the whole load. Yeah, see, the farmer, the farmer had an appetite for God's word, just not that much of it. How many of us are like that farmer? We want the word just not all of it. Some of us want it, just, just not all at once. That's a, an unfortunate truth for many people on, on many different levels. Some just enjoy the, the feel-good, fluffy stuff, but they don't want all the doctrine. Just give me the milk, please. Some come across things that they don't like, so they just Ignore that part. Others may be outright offended by other parts, and they argue, well, well, that was just for another time. That was for another culture. So we shouldn't even embrace that or, or even teach that. Some say that parts are irrelevant to us, so we shouldn't even bother reading those parts. There's a movement to unhitch us from the Old Testament. And all of those things have huge implications for the lives of those people. James James is a straight talker. And he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't sugarcoat things. And I actually love that about him. He calls out problems and he gives straightforward answers and instructions to fix them. And that's what he does in this morning's text. So turn to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. James chapter 1, 19 through 21. God's word says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, 
slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is, is not really about being quick to listen to others, or to, to be slow to speak in a group, or slow to become angry when others offend you. It's really about being quick to listen to God's word, slow to speak in writing off God's word, slow to become angry when you disagree with something in God's word. And we know that if we just back up one verse, verse 18, that verse really sets up what follows. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This, this paraphrased translation makes that a little bit more clear for us. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. See, this is speaking of our, our regeneration, our salvation through his word. And verses 19 through 27 are how we're to receive and obey that word. And it's also a, a bit of a test, a yardstick to see where we are. The title of this series is Tested Faith for a Reason. Here, James presents a, a third test of a true believer's faith. The first one that we actually looked at was in verses 2 through 12. And that was his response to trials. The second is his response to temptations we looked at a couple weeks ago in verses 13 through 18. And third one here is his response to the truth revealed in the Word of God. See, James understands that you're going to read God's Word. You're going to hear it preached. You're going to hear it taught. And you're going to struggle with it. You're going to come across sections that, you're going to be, that are going to be hard to understand. It'll be frustrating. You're going to see sections of Scripture that you just don't like. What it says about being a man, about being a woman, about parenting, about money, about suffering, about heaven, about hell, and many other things. And you'll be tempted to become angry with God and his word. James knows, knows that God's word can be used by the enemy too, right? To make, you, to make you angry, to make you irritated, make you mad, frustrated, and annoyed at God. James calls God's word the implanted word in verse 21. Borrowing from Jesus' parable of the sower from Matthew 13, he compared God's word to seed and the human heart to soil. In this parable, Jesus, Jesus described four kinds of hearts. First was the hard heart, which did not understand or receive the word. The birds quickly ate the seed and didn't take any root at all. Then there was the shallow heart, which was very emotional, had no depth. As soon as trials or persecution hit, the person falls away. The crowded heart that lacked repentance, let sin crowd out the word. The worldly, thorny ground choked it out. 
Those, those, things have, those three things have had this in common. None of them bear fruit. None of them bear fruit. And I understand Jesus to be saying that in that verse that those three were not truly saved. But the fourth one, the fourth one was the receptive heart. It received the word. It allowed it to take root. And it produced a harvest of fruit. The, heart, the receptive heart receives the word and is changed by it. These changes are, are not automatic. They're not effortless. If it were, the, the New Testament would not be full of exhortations to grow. Can't, if you come to faith in Christ, it's crucial that you cultivate a heart that is, is receptive to God's word and his truth. The word of God cannot work in our lives unless we receive it. See, Jesus not only said, pay attention to what you hear, in Mark 24, he said in Luke 8, 18, take care then how you hear. See, if God has given us new life through his word, we must prepare our hearts to receive that word. We must have a heart that will receive what, what God's word says. Our text, James tells us, listen up. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, listen. And then he gives us five marks of a receptive heart. The first one is open ears, quick to hear. The second one is it controls the tongue. It's slow to speak. The third one, it clears the crud. It puts away all filthiness. Fifth, it welcomes the word, receives with meekness. So let's, let's take a look at these and explore them a little bit more. First, the receptive heart opens the ears. Be quick to hear, it says. James says the first mark of a heart that is receptive to God's word is that it is quick to hear the word of God. Jesus told the Jews that disputed with him in John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, obviously, these people were, were not deaf. They heard the sound of the words that Jesus spoke. They did not and they could not understand them because they were not born of God. They lacked the ability to hear and understand spiritual truth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So those that are unbelievers, they can't hear God's word. They can't understand it unless the Spirit allows them to. But if you're a believer, but if you're a believer, the Word is what builds your faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And you should be eager to take God's Word from every angle. You should desire to read the Word to listen to biblical teaching of the Word, to, to memorize the Word, to want to understand all its teaching with a, with a view toward obedience, 
not to just understand what it means, but apply it to your life. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the, the pure spiritual milk, that, that by it they may grow up in, into salvation. You should be crying out for its, for its nourishment. Just like that baby cries out for milk. This is your nourishment. You should cry for it. So, evaluate your heart for God's Word. Do you, do you delight in it? Do you long to pour over it? What's your attitude when you go to hear the Word preached? Are you, are you listening intently to glean all you can from it? Or are you watching the clock, wondering when it will be over? See, we often find this attitude among believers, that the speaker is entirely responsible for getting the people to listen by being entertaining, relevant, and engaging. Dress it up. But James shifts the responsibility back to the audience. Spurgeon tells this story. The Welsh preacher Roland Hill. Now this is a story that Spurgeon told. Spurgeon is not, not a spring chicken, so he was quite old, according to our standards. Roland Hill died in 1833, so this story goes back a little ways. But Roland Hill, as an old man, was visiting with a longtime friend who says, It is now 65 years since I first heard you preach. And I still remember your text in a part of your sermon. So Hill asked, well, what part of the sermon do you remember? A friend answered, you said that some people, when they, went, when they went to hear a sermon, were very squeamish about the delivery of the preacher. Then you said, supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting a legacy from him. You would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will, but you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left for you, and if so, how much. That is the way to hear the gospel. See, that is the way we should receive God's word. In anticipation of all that the Heavenly Father and the Savior has left for you to receive, what his word is. He left record. This is for you. Now, G3 conference was just this past week. And I don't, some of you probably know what that is. Some of you don't. So it's a big conference down in Atlanta that I've gone to for several years, taking the kids, taking Tanya. I actually had plans to be there this, this year. Um, things just didn't work out um, for me to be there. But it's a large conference, large conference. Several thousand people sitting in this huge auditorium, convention center. Over the course of three days and three nights, as all of these, these speakers come in to share God's word. Sitting there from 7 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night. Three days three nights, desperate to hear God's word proclaimed 
Are these some great speakers? Yeah, there are some great speakers. These are some really well-known people. But what makes them great? What makes them great? The word that they proclaim. That's what people are there to hear. The gospel. Eager to hear all the Lord has for us to help us to grow and to help us in our time of need. Remember, the the first part of James 1 is about facing trials and temptations. So be quick to hear what God's word says about the trial and the temptation that you're facing. Be quick to find out what God says about the problem in front of you. When you're reading the Bible, don't do it quickly. Read it slowly. But listen quickly. Focus on what God is saying to you. Think about what the Bible means and how it applies to you. The Holy Spirit will help you in this. When you're listening to a sermon, ask God, God, what are you trying to say to me through this? What am I supposed to take from this? What are you trying to teach me? Pay attention to what God may be telling you. Be quick to listen to what God has to say about you and your life. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to hear from him. Let him share his wisdom into your life. Open your ears. Be quick to hear. The second thing is the receptive heart controls the tongue. It is slow to speak. Now in the early church, the services were informal. And often the listeners would debate with the speaker as he would speak. We see this with Jesus when when he was teaching. He would would often be questioned or challenged by by the Pharisees, right? In Luke... uh, Luke 10.29, there's an account, a lawyer. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? See, they had a a custom at that time, a belief among the Jews that only people that were at their level were their neighbor. So here, this lawyer He shows himself to be self-righteous, quotes the Bible, quotes the law, and then he takes a little bit step further to Jesus, showed his self-righteousness. Often out of pride, a believer wants to spout off in public to show how much he knows about the Bible or about Christian life. James, following the wisdom found in the, the book of Proverbs, says, slow down, hold your tongue. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is considered wise if he keeps silent and, and discerning when he holds his tongue. 
Someone pointed out something that ought to teach us something. We have two ears that we can't close and one mouth that we can. That should tell us something, right? Even Larry King observed, I never learned anything while I was talking. The story about a, a famous or, Roman orator who was asked by a young man to teach him the art of public speaking. The young man continued it in an incessant flow of meaningless talk, trying to show how, how eloquent he was. And it allowed the great teacher no opportunity to interject a word. And when they finally reached the point of discussing a fee, the orator said, Young man, to instruct you in oratory, I will have to charge you a double fee. When he asked why, he explained, Because I will have to teach you two skills. The first, how to hold your tongue. The second, how to use it. See, being slowed to speak means speaking with humility, patience, not with hasty words or, or nonstop gabbing. Constant talking keeps a person from being able to hear. Wisdom is not always having something to say. It involves listening carefully, considering prayerfully, and then speaking quietly. When we discipline ourselves to listen more than we talk, we can learn a lot. See, big talkers are hard to teach. They think they already know everything they need to know. And they constantly express their opinions. Wise people have learned that more wisdom can be gained by listening, observing, not rushing to judgment. Proverbs 10.19 says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. See, it's that old adage is right. It's better to remain silent, be thought a fool, open one's mouth and remove all doubt. Right? How many relationships have been damaged or ruined because we were slow to listen and, and quick to speak? How many mistakes could have been avoided if we'd only listened instead of talked? Now, judging from James 1.26 and 3.1, some believers James was writing to in the church were pretty loose with their lips. And they were saying and teaching whatever came to mind and without much thought or, or even checking it against the Scripture. James 1.26 if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that, that person's religion is worthless. See, many of these people may have been sincere and well-meaning, but they were poorly taught. They were unprepared. Some were proud and arrogant, and they liked hearing their voices. They liked being considered a teacher or a leader. Some were just discontent and they just liked to argue. And that's why James follows it up in James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. See, the man that God anoints to preach and teach his word is compelled to do it both willingly 
with joy. But he must also do it with a sense of awe. Always making sure to be by careful and patient study, patient preparation and prayer that he says nothing in God's name that does not accurately reflect God's word. James is not forbidding us from interacting with God's word and discussing or, or asking, asking pertinent questions to, to try to gain understanding. Rather, he's, he's confronting the person who is never silent before the Lord. See, I think we all should learn the words Eli taught young Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.9. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You're listening. We must control our tongue to be slow to speak. Third, the receptive heart contains the emotions. It's slow to anger. And this word angry, orge, doesn't refer to an explosive outburst temper, but it refers to a, an inner deep resentment that sees and smolders. And it's often unnoticed by others. It's usually directed at God. But why would Christians be angry with God? Why would Christians be angry with God? Well, in a broader sense, here's a few reasons. Because he didn't provide the way that they wanted God to provide. Or maybe he didn't heal them or, or heal the person that they care about. Maybe it's because God let bad things happen. Because God doesn't answer their prayers the way they wanted. Sometimes it seems from their perspective that God just doesn't seem to care about their problem. Why does James tell us to be slow to get angry with God and his word? He tells us in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, when you get angry at God and what he says, you will begin to ignore God. You will reject God. Well, you will reinterpret what God says to justify what you want. And that does not produce the kind of life God desires for you. Remember, James has written to believers facing trials and, and temptations. Trials are tough. They're hard. They're difficult. They're uncomfortable and often they're painful. Within those trials that you may be tempted to become angry with God. James says to be slow to become angry. Allow time for God to show you what's going on. Allow God to work in this and, and in your life before you, you write him off. But in this context, James is speaking particularly about anger at God and his word. James is writing to believers that were facing trials and temptations. They were, they were having a difficult, difficult time living out the faith that they claimed. There was bickering and, and fighting among them, too. James 4.1, he asked them rhetorically, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Then he gives the answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What is the war going on inside? What's the internal struggle that he's speaking of? 
their sinful desires caught against the truth of God's word. And it causes people to fight and argue with each other and with God. How do you respond when God steps on your toes? Maybe you're reading it or you're hearing it preached and then it says something that you don't like. It, it, confronts, it confronts the way you think or live or how you think it should be. Do you get angry and defensive? Do you catch yourself saying, what right does that preacher have to say that? How dare he tell me how to live? Tell me that I'm wrong. Maybe it's pointing out something that you don't want to admit is wrong. Some grow to, to, to justify their position, and they don't appreciate being questioned about it. They develop a, a deep-seated belief that they're unwilling to give up. And they can turn that anger toward the messenger. Paul asked believers in Galatia, in Galatians 4.16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? For some, the answer was clearly yes. But Paul, persist, persistently telling them God's truth, without compromise, without leaving anything out, was the kindest and most helpful thing he could do for them. That is the kindest, most loving thing anyone can do for someone. Sharing the truth, God's word. Throughout history, even believers have resented God's truth and the messengers who brought it. So James here is, is trying to contain and diffuse the personal resentment and the hostility that some may feel even after receiving his letter. How about you? What are you holding on to? Something you get angry about every time God's word gets just a little bit too close to it. Ask yourself, why are you angry? Is this an exposing internal struggle? Is there a war within? Getting mad about something you don't like will not change God's word or his position on it. You are the one that needs to change. James 1.20 gives us the reason. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Man's ways don't lead to righteousness. Never does. Man has always tried to do it their way, and it never works. Only God's way works. If you want to grow in righteousness, stop fighting God's word and submit to it. It's interesting that the only time John Calvin mentions his own conversion, he says this. God, by a sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame. God, by a sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame. See, sometimes, sometimes you just need to get over yourself. 
Sometimes you just need to get over yourself. A teachable heart stops fighting angrily against God. Instead, it submits to God. James says that as those who have been given new life from God, we must prepare our hearts to be receptive to God's word. The receptive heart opens the ears. It controls the tongue. And it contains the, the emotion of anger to the word. And fifth, the receptive, or fourth, the receptive heart clears the crud of sin. It says, put away all filthiness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away is a term that is used for taking off filthy clothes. And Paul uses the same figure of speech several times in his letters. Colossians 3, 8 through 10. But now you must put away all, put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and then put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Ephesians 4, 22-24, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance a race set out for us. See, James' thought here is the same as Paul's when he tells us to put off the old self, put on the new. We all bring baggage from our from our old way of life into our Christian life. And usually we're, we're blind to much of it. Filthiness translates ruparia. Ruparia. And it refers to filth, pollution, or dirtiness. And it's actually closely related to a term used for having wax in the ear. Anyone, anyone have that before? Having wax in the ear makes it hard to hear clearly, doesn't it? It impairs our hearing, which makes sense in this context. Sometimes that filthiness prevents us from really hearing God's Word. We don't realize how we're displeasing God by our, our thoughts, our words, our actions. But as we begin to hear God's Word, it convicts us of areas that we, we didn't know were sin. <clears throat> we begin to hear it more and more. Finally starts to get through. When this happens, the receptive heart cleans out the crud of sin. And it puts on new clothes, new life in Christ. Find yourself getting angry at God's word. Maybe, maybe you just need to clean out your ears. If you don't do this, the crud will prevent you from growing as a Christian. The receptive heart clears the crud of sin, puts away, put away all filthiness. 
James saying, you have to do all the stuff I just said. You have to do this so that you can do the next thing I'm going to tell you. That's the condition in order to do this. Fifth, the receptive heart welcomes the word, receives it with meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Finally, James declared that true believers willingly receive God's word. The word used here is prautus, and it means mild, gentle, in humility. So humility may be a better understanding of the thought here. Humility is a, is a freedom from pride or, or arrogance. It's a modest view of one's importance. That you have no special value that makes you more important than someone else. Among other things, humility includes a very important quality of teachableness. And that's very obviously important. We talk about hearing and understanding God's word. The faithful Christian is to receive the implanted word with a submissive, gentle, and teachable spirit. Cleansed of pride, resentment, anger, and every other form of corruption. Implanted is from infentos, infentos, which has a literal meaning of planting a seed into the ground. Here it's used metaphorically of God's word being planted and taking root in the heart of the believer. Again, a, a picture of the parable of the sower, the scattering of the seed, the word. Will your heart be good soil that receives the seed and bears fruit? Or will it be one of those other kinds of soil that are unproductive? Here's the thing. Once the seed falls into good soil, it still needs to be nurtured to grow and bear fruit. The seed must be watered. Weeds must be pulled. It must be protected from the birds. It must be protected to be trampled underfoot. The word is planted in us when it becomes part of our being. God teaches us from the depth of our soul with the help of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is the gospel in its fullest the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Yet, despite it already being within us, we must continually receive it. We must allow it to direct and control our lives every day. Just like the Bereans of Acts 17, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. is able to save your souls. It is the divine power behind the truth of Scripture that is able to initiate salvation, to keep it alive and growing, to finally bring it the final glory, complete and perfect. See, we've been, we've been saved, we've been justified through the power of the Word of God. 
We are kept saved. We are sanctified through the power of the Word of God. And we will ultimately be glorified completely and eternally saved through the power of the Word of God. Save is a, is a radical word that means to be rescued or delivered. It's the opposite of being lost. Picture a man in danger who fights against those who come to rescue him. That's the wrong way to get rescued. The right way is to follow their orders. Assuming that they know what they're doing, that they're out for your best interest. God's aim through his implanted word is to save your soul. But you need to submit to it with humility putting aside all arrogance and pride. Welcome God's word to your life as your deliverer. It will save you from destruction if you receive it and obey it. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Have you done a heart check lately? Have you done a heart check lately? If your heart is apathetic to God's word, James says, be quick to hear. If you're prone to spout off arrogantly with how much you know, James says, be slow to speak. If you're fighting some aspect of the word that you don't like, James says, be slow to anger. You're tolerating the crud of sin, James says, put away all filthiness. And if you're resisting God's commands that are designed to rescue you from sin, James says, in humility receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Well, may we all take this instruction from James, continually be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. The word contains the gospel, the power to save, keep us. We should hunger and desire it. Do you hunger and desire God's word? Are you willing to submit to it, be slow to speak, Slow to anger. Will you receive it in humility? Ask yourself that. Ask God to reveal those areas in your life that maybe you have been resisting His Word. Those areas that you have said, nope, I think it needs to be this way. That's the way I was raised. That's what I was taught to believe. I know what God, I, I, I don't want to hear what God's, that's what, that's what my mom and dad taught me. Are you resisting God's word? Receive it in humility so that it can save your soul. God loves us. He cares for us so much. He sent his son 
to pay a penalty for our sin debt. He left us His Word to help us to grow in righteousness. Receive it with joy. The God who loves you, the Savior that died for you, gave it for you. Receive it with joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you grateful, thankful for your word that you have left us. And Father, we confess that sometimes we don't receive it the way that we should. Sometimes we're too caught up in in our viewpoint that we forget yours. That we're so committed to what we want it to be that we don't submit to what you say it is. Father God, I pray that you would search our hearts, that you would expose those areas in our life that we have failed to give over to you, that you would help us to receive your word in all humility, knowing that you have left it for our good to rescue, to save our souls, to help us to grow in righteousness. Father, I pray that you would just give us a hunger for your word, that we would crave it. We would always seek to, to know it more and more. Father, I pray that you would put that hunger in us. Father, you would reveal yourself in a mighty way and that we would receive it and be changed, and that you would be honored and glorified in our lives. We ask you to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit for your glory. Amen.